there was something screaming to get out. And in the only way I could express this was... There's a bad girl screaming to get out. Welcome to Effective Heart Change, where we are passionate about becoming life givers in our circle of influence. Today, we have with us Sela. It's great to welcome you into the studio. We're glad to have you with us. Glad to be here. We want to pick up on your story, and it actually goes back a long ways. So tell us some of the early years of your story. Well, my sister and I were born in Italy. We were born in Turin, Italy, in an orphanage. Um, and then my mother took us home as we with an, an older brother also. And it was back and forth to the orphanage when my mother would uh, could not take care of us. Basically, there was poverty, um, possibly physical abuse, probably some kind of sexual abuse. It was a very unhealthy, sick environment. And there came a time, my father was in the picture. They were not married. And he could not provide for the family is where she would take us to the orphanage and back. And there came a time when she, for our benefit, so my sister and I would have a chance at a good life that she gave us up for adoption. And so when I was, I had just turned four in August and we arrived in the United States, my sister and I, she was 17 months old and I was almost four. And so we got here in late July and um, my mother met us in New York. A priest brought us over from Italy and uh, then she flew with these two young children, and she hadn't any children of her own, and flew to Kansas City where she met up with my father. But my mother had had dreams of a little girl, a, a toddler, a 17-month-old age-wise child. And she fell on her knees when she saw my sister because that was the child she saw in her dreams. I'll never forget that. That was beautiful, beautiful story there. And so that's my mother and father. Anne and Jim Cole adopted us from Italy, and uh, I grew up in Salina, Kansas. I hope that hope it didn't happen this way, but your mother saw your sister. Was that a good thing for you? Did you feel accepted too, or did you feel a little bit left out at that point? No. I have never felt left out. In fact, somewhere in there, I knew, I have just, I knew that that was God. I, it just seemed, okay, yeah, God showed her my sister. What was it like coming into the family? Did you feel welcomed? Was it excellent? Was it hard? I have no memory. I, the only memory I have of coming 
that day to the United States was my sister in the airplane. Her little, there was this big seat and there were these little legs, you know, just sitting there. And she was so little and tiny in this big seat. And then I remember the dress I had on. And that that's all until my first memories were I just, it was later, it was later, but then, you know, I came from a different culture, different language. My mother and father, we just communicated the best we could. They, she had an uh, Italian English dictionary. And uh, of course it didn't take long. Within a year I was speaking total, uh, solid English, but all I knew was Italian when I came and how much of a four-year-old knows. And so my memories just start with mom and mom and dad, my my parents. I had no memories of my family in Italy until later. Fast forward, you've had some issues with drinking and, and just addiction-related type of issues. Talk to us a little bit about that, and then we'll come back and maybe tie the two experiences together. Well, I was a late bloomer in my addiction. Uh, I was the good little Catholic girl, you know. Um, I was popular. I cheer. I was a cheerleader. I had a best friend from first or uh, second grade. We were just inseparable. Um, I didn't drink. I drank when I was sixteen years old. When my mother. I was supposed to watch my sister and they went out or something. And I was curious because the kids in high school were talking about drinking and they did it. And they'd come to the school on Monday and talk about how much fun they had. And I hated it. I took a couple swigs of this awful whiskey. And of course, the room was spinning after a minute. And I said, like, yeah, you know, and I so there was no more of that. And then when I went to college, there was the weekend beer drinking and stuff. And even then, it wasn't bad until I tried marijuana for the first time. And it was, I started worrying pretty quick because I wanted to smoke all the time. My friends weren't doing that. And I started thinking in my head, this doesn't seem normal. And then, so I met my husband and he couldn't drink because he had splitting headaches. And so, very socially, he smoked marijuana. So now we both did. And I, I went full, full with it. And um, then I also had pain pills for the first time when I got my wisdom teeth pulled. My husband pulled my wisdom teeth because he's a dentist. And that's when I really realized, I knew then that uh, when that first effect came in, my whole world. I, it was like, oh my gosh, is this what normal feels like? I didn't know that I was, I, it just, I loved it. I, it was the euphoria that I chased and that's what pain pills did for me. And that's where it started slowly. Um, I, my husband had him at his office. He'd bring some home for my back or my periods, which never needed pain pills, but 
And so that's where the addiction took me. So my my core addiction or the worst one is a narcotic pain medicine. And I did start drinking after that was gone, after I started getting help with that and knew that that was not good for me and I was an addict. Then, um, because I had never drank alcoholically before, but I went to or outpatient treatment for the first time. And when it was all said and done and I finished or graduated or whatever, I thought, I'm going to celebrate with a bottle of wine. I mean, what does that tell you? You know, because I wasn't an alcoholic. Within a year and a half, I was drinking every day. So I worry, you know, I tell a lot of my addict friends, be careful, because if they've done the harder drugs like meth, I've never, thank God he protected me from meth because I would have been bad. And I tell them, be careful with that alcohol because I, I did the same thing. It was not a problem. And I didn't drink to get plastered. I didn't drink to, I drank and could, when I got that fuzzy, warm feeling, that's the feeling I wanted. I didn't want to be smashed. I didn't want to drink until I passed out. But I'm, but I'm, I've got alcoholic tendencies. I'm an addict alcoholic and that manifests in my body that way. So I was drinking within a year and a half. And so that was a struggle for years on and off. I was sober from alcohol for 12 years at one time, but not off of the pain pills. And until I came here, the, the, the longest I've ever had totally and completely clean from anything was four and a half years. That was after I was divorced. But that was just, in, 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 in retrospect, it was... Um, I was getting all my feel goods from everything around me. I had a perfect guy I'd fallen in love with, and I was strong in my AA. And yeah, and when life got to be that, hmm, is this all there is? Even with this man that I was in love with, and there were red flags all over the place that I kept stuffing. But um, then after that relationship was over, I still, I, I've struggled since then. What's interesting, a lot of times people don't think about it, but addiction has a reward. And many times you don't see that because addiction also just is, you know, a fire that just burns through your life and so totally destroys it. But listening to your testimony, I'm hearing the reward piece. And the reward piece is first the marijuana and then the pain pills. It helped you feel okay for a little bit, or it took away an edge there. Any comments you want to make on that? I had gone into the most intensive counseling I've had, and at one point I was going to AA probably daily. I was in a uh, women's therapy group. I was in an individual therapy group or individual one-on-one -on -one with my counselor. I was going to Al-Anon because my fiance was a, a recovering alcoholic and he had 10 years at the time. And I was doing all these things. Of course, I was, my relationship with God was at a higher level also. And I was doing all of that 
And I was talking to my sponsor one day and I said, Wanda, if God took me now, I'd be okay. I don't want to kill myself. I didn't want, I had no desire to commit suicide. But my boys were pretty grown. They were good. Their dad was a wonderful father, and I knew they would be okay. I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm tired of the fight. And my my sponsor said, Sella, you go make an appointment as soon as you can get into Gail, your counselor, and you tell her exactly what you told me. And I did. And she said, Sella, we're going to put you on some antidepressants. So at that point in time, I had been off the drugs I for two years. I was doing everything I possibly, something wasn't right. And so, of course, I went to the counselor and got on antidepressants. Had I found a good pastor or some really good people, and mentors to talk to that their lives were were God were full of lives. They were living for God. It might have been different. I might not have needed the antidepressants, but my path went with the antidepressants, and it helped. So, um, there the, there was something other. I I was trying my best to to live life. I. But the missing piece was God, the true intimate relationship with God. Before we get there, I want to stay with the reward piece. So even in the antidepressants, all of the things that you're doing, the reward was I'm heavy. There's a heaviness inside. There's an oppression inside. The marijuana helped that. The pain pills helped that. The alcohol helped that. The antidepressant helped that. So the reward that you were seeking is there's just this heavy place inside of me. Am I in the right track? Exactly. There was something wrong, and I could not put my finger on it. And But as I, as I went to more and more meetings, I saw mental issues in more and more people. And, oh, man, did that scare me. That wasn't me. I grew up in a good family. There's no reasons why I should. So the times that I thought I might have, I might have issues from my my adoption, issues from childhood, my counselor brought out I did not want to say anything negative to my family about my family. So there was something, there was something screaming to get out. And in the only way I could express this was there's a bad girl screaming to get out. Now, I don't know why. But I'd always, that's the only way I could express it. And I don't, and I'm wondering if I had suppressed so much stuff that there's some, I am not living as I was supposed to live. 
I'm not living the person God created me to live. As I listened to you and having known you, talked with you, part of what we have talked about is just that productivity, that, that need to perform, which actually could potentially go all the way back to the orphanage where pick me, pick me. You know, I've got to smile. I've got to put on the good face. I've, I've got to be the, the person who is, is going to be delightful and is going to be picked could go there. It could be something deeper. It could be beyond. But out of that pick me, that need to perform, we've talked about that could be the source of that because you've got this tightness, you've got this heaviness that is there. And anything that provided relief from that heaviness then became addictive to you. What have you done to work through that performance, heaviness, if, if those kind of things don't get resolved, you probably never get better. Well, what I've, um, I, I didn't know I had performance issues until I got here. I grew up with, a, my mother was um, very critical. She had a very critical spirit. Um, I learned pretty early on that not to blame her because she had an extremely hard life, too. Um, and so I had worked through a lot of that. But it also changed me. And when and, and I started facing that possibly being taken from my family in Italy and that trauma there, even though it was my parents presented it as a very positive thing. She gave my sister and I a chance at life. It was a, an extreme sacrifice. But somewhere subconscious in this child never dealt with that, never dealt with that, that trauma. It was just here today, or, you know, that, that saying, there today, gone tomorrow, that all of a sudden that whole life was just done. And I somewhere inside must have blamed me. I there's something wrong. What I if I do well, if I perform, then then I will be then they won't give me away. Then it got to it got to well if I'm I say the right things and agree with my mother, she won't be critical of me. And and that manifested in a lot of different areas, didn't, didn't know that. I mean, I've been counseling for years and hear all these things that, Pastor, you're presenting to me went, well, that makes more sense than, than the counseling I had. But I also had a, a psychologist, a child psychologist I met one time, but he said that children do one or two things when they're in a traumatic situation like my sister and I. They, they, it is a trauma. It was a blessed thing, but it was a trauma. And they either say, I, that's it. I am never going to feel that way again. I, that, I will never feel that, that sadness. I did, no, no more. I will do everything I can not to feel that sadness. Or the child will completely withdraw. I was the first. My sister was the second. And the very two memories I have of Italy 
before I had counseling was one was very sad, oppressed, dark. And that was my home. And one was happy, was a happy memory. And that was the orphanage. So it must have been pretty bad at home for me to be away from my parents, away from the family, yet in an orphanage, but be happier at the orphanage that was at home. So when I got to the States, that's what the psychologist says. You do one or two things. And that's why I have fought my whole life. I am not okay with not being okay. Absolutely. And the drugs and the alcohol. Wow. Yeah. So there's a terror inside of you that says, I've got to be over here in this positive place. And that deep terror inside of you then sets you up for addiction and really puts you in a difficult place. Yes. Yes. And frankly, we actually have that on some of our videos. Are you okay not being okay? Some of that sort of language. And that actually originated with you and some ministry to <laughs> you. So you're, you're, you're famous did. in the program and in our videos oh, already. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, so it's, it's actually kind of fun to sit down and talk with you about this. But it, was, but it was huge. It is huge in my life. And... People, and, and, I, and I would say, Sela, where in your brain do you not understand that some days are just not going to be good? Some days are going to be kind of icky, you know? And I had this sense in my mind that, well, if I just know God good enough, if I just do enough praying, if I just took, I didn't even talk in terms of totally surrendering to God, totally giving my life up. I mean, I didn't even know that that was. And then when God didn't perform, whoa, what is wrong with me? And because I was sinning, I was sinning, and I wasn't, I wanted God to take care of it. I wanted God to touch my head and say, you're going to, now, happy Sela, happy Sela. Every day is going to be happy Sela. It's interesting there. You talked about critical mom, and, and earlier in the testimony, you were like, well, I can't say anything against mom. It's like, I can't say anything against natural mom. I can't say anything against adopted mom. And now you just added to that, well, I can't say anything against God. It's like, if my day isn't going well, something must be wrong with me. God is punishing me. If you see the consistent worldview that's there, it's like, oh, I've got to perform, I've got to be at a high level. If I was at a high level, my parents would be good, my husband would be good, my God would be good, everything would be good. You bring it all back on yourself, and so it becomes incredibly heavy at that point. I mean, that's, that's a source of all kinds of trouble in your life. Yes. Heavy is, is describes and that is when I knew, when Wanda said, Zella, you tell your, you tell your counselor this, because I, I and, and that's not the only time, of course, when I entertain my addiction more later, um, I, I just, and I never said, God, don't let me wake up in the morning. I've just never, I've not done that. I've heard many, many struggling people say that, that they've been through that. 
Um, but I just wanted to go. I, I didn't want I didn't want that heaviness anymore. And the reward of the addiction was to temporarily get rid of the heaviness. And so there was this incredible pull towards that. So then for me to get better, I've got to find a way to get rid of the heaviness, to hand off that heaviness. Otherwise, I can do the God thing, which you did all through the years. I can do the God thing in a performance model, and it does me absolutely no good. What kinds of things have you done to take away some of that performance model and that heaviness? The biggest thing is I've been able to see where I've been wrong with my relationship with God. Um, I knew for years that God needed me to do something. And I would be great at voicing these eloquent things that I never subscribed to myself. God will not do for me what I, I can do for myself. And what, that do, what he needed me to do was to humble myself, which is one of the first things I learned here. To be real, to be genuine, to be honest, and how the pride kept me from all of that and how damaging, as much as I love people, as much as I want to have good, healthy relationships, not only was I cheating me, but I was causing all this complete distrust of others towards me. And I had no idea that's what I was doing. And because I wouldn't, I would be happy. I'm doing great. Sella's doing good. And everybody will say, would, would ask me, you, you doing good? Yeah. Are you sure you're doing good? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, everything's good. And I love God. And, you know, I know how, we go, how I go. And two weeks later, I'm sitting in an inpatient or detox inpatient treatment again because of pride. I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't okay. I don't know what kind of reputation I thought I was trying to hold up, but the people who knew me best would go, okay, well, we'll see her down the line. You know, oh, I mean, my best deep, deep relationship, friendship with, with my, my AA friends, God gave me many, many. I could just tell by the look in their eye, they knew I was full of it. And they would, they would blessedly just wait until I fell and say, we're still here, Sella. You know, but they wouldn't do it for me. So the key for you, humility. Key. Transparency. Honesty. And I'm going to take it a whole different world. You had to allow people to love you when you weren't okay. And, you know, that was so puzzling to me. Yeah, yes, I want to I talk on that. I wouldn't allow people to love me when I, because 
I thought I had that that's who I was, that that's the only way I was lovable. That was the only way I was lovable was if, because people would say, Sella, you bring such light into the room. You know, through the years, I've had compliments like that. And oh my gosh, that made me feel so good, you know? And yet in the, in the other part of that, I was living a lie at the same time and, and, and didn't understand that. You were living in performance. You knew you were living in performance. Now, what you didn't know is message, the concept that we talk about. When you're living in performance, you're sending a message of, I'm distant from you. I'm hiding from you. Now, you were very good with people, so you were able to couch it in believable terms for those who didn't know you. Didn't know me. But those who knew you well, they could see through those charades. And so you were sending that, and you thought your performance was working, but it obviously wasn't because you would go back into addiction. It obviously wasn't because the people who knew you well weren't fooled by it. And all of a sudden, I'm not having that close connection. I'm not having that communion. And obviously, that's one of the keys that we talk about. When you've got that realness, you start being able to receive from God. You start being able to receive from people. But that typically doesn't happen until you're in your brokenness and able to be honest and open about it. And that was the one thing you just couldn't bring yourself to do. No. And, and I just, I don't, I didn't understand what that pull was. It was, perf I guess, performance or some deep-seated thought that you really wouldn't like me. You weren't okay not, not being, being okay, okay because you'd lived your entire life. If I'm just okay, then they will like me. Then it will be okay. So you had to get there first. When the truth of the gospel is we live in a fallen world, sin has overtaken you, you can't get there unless you receive from God first. In one of my readings this morning, it said, you cannot receive from God unless you're doing it God's way. And that, I, it brought my mind back to those days that I was just begging God are you? Why am I here again? You know, those, we, we, intellectually, I know exactly why I was here again. But, re, you know, reaching out to God, and he was there the whole time. And I didn't want to, I didn't, I wanted to still pretend like I was okay when I wasn't. Perhaps the most pivotal time then for you does go back to that concept, whether it was when the phrase showed up or another time, but that concept of, I have to be okay not being okay. I live in a fallen world. I'm going to have ups and downs. I'm going to go through the different seasons, good seasons, bad seasons. In the past, because of the performance piece, you couldn't do the bad seasons. No, I couldn't handle the bad seasons. Not at all. And, you know, the only way I got through my parents' death was self-medicating. I think people have gotten the idea of where you've been, what the journey looks like. What, 
What advice would you have to give someone? Believe it when they say you have to totally, completely surrender that I can do absolutely nothing on my own and that I have to humble myself every day. Um, And just, I remember hearing so many people talk about the Bible. I don't understand it. God knows I didn't understand it. And I would pray before. And they told me, if you pray, the Holy Spirit will guide you. You will start understanding more. And I said, without studying and without having people explain every line, how's that going to happen? But I did it. And there were days when I was going to read for 10 minutes and 45 minutes later, and I still could have read some more, but I had to do something. I, I thought I didn't believe them. I thought they were just saying this. People would say this just so you would get to read the Bible more. No. Praying. Um, humbling myself. Thinking of others. What is my motivation? Is this motivated on how Jesus would respond? Or is this, I'm trying to get something, am I manipulating a situation? Which I have done many times in the program. And, and then went, ooh, that was a manipulation there. But come becoming aware of the things that keep me from God, keep me from the, his spirit. And knowing that the true intimate relationship, God, is not physical to physical. It's spiritual. It's that spirit. That's how God communicates with us. And I have been fascinated with the spirit, spiritual concepts my whole life. And I think I had that when I was, I, I did have a memory that came out in therapy of a two of me, and God was sitting next to me without a doubt, no question whatsoever, either Jesus or God was sitting next to me, and he said, it's okay, I will take you away from this. And I had, I thought I made it up, and I would never have made something up like that, so I've always had that concept of God. But coming here, I made it so much harder. No, following God's path is not easy every day, but in my mind, I made it so much harder. He has blessed me with the smallest He has blessed me with the smallest little steps I take. And I'm not doing everything perfect, but he knows my heart. He knows I'm not trying to get away with it. He knows I'm not just reading the Bible and then expecting a blessing from him. He knows where my heart is with my search for this relationship with him. I mean, I'm full of joy right now just talking about it. And that, that's coming from him. It's coming from him. I asked him when I, before I did this interview, I said, just show in this interview what's in my heart. It is above and beyond what I expected him to do. So those, and I owe it all to God. I, I understand now when I once thought that it was a little arrogant of God to have us just praise and worship him all the time. Oh, man. 
I understand. He he, He deserves every bit of our praise and worship. He makes this world go round. Satan makes the darkness, but there's so much light. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful today. I'm grateful for you, Pastor. You know that. I'm grateful for this program. Well, not to be overly simplistic, (laughs) but moving out of a place of performance has changed your life experience. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that's a message people can, can hear. One of the things we're doing with these testimonies is just highlighting some of the different ways that bondage happens and the different ways that we walk out. And a lot of times we try to fit everything into a one-size-fits-all to where it's no. here's the answer or, there, yeah, uh-uh. or here's the answer. Uh, but your testimony is unique, and it really illustrates some neat truths in Christ of how to break through and get to a better place. Yep. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, it's been great to be with you. Thank you. I'm so glad I did this. And thank you for joining us. It's been fun to be with Sela today and to hear her story and how it illustrates one of the ways that God works in the lives of people. We are passionate about becoming life givers in our circle of influence. I hope and pray that you too are passionate about touching the lives of the people around you and that you'll continue to join us for Effective Heart Change.